current technologies as they're being developed and rolled out are entirely too much like what the transhumanists have dreamt of. Because it's very much akin to Satanism now. Welcome to the show that the fact checkers warned you about. The one that debunks the mainstream narrative and gives you high signal, actionable content that helps you navigate the cloud world. It's Bomb Thrower TV with your host, Mark Jeffrey. Hey, Joe. Hello, hello. It's been so long since I've done one of these. Welcome back to Bomb Thrower TV, one and all. I ha- I am happy to come back from a summer break with none other than Joe Allen, who is the, uh, you, you've probably seen him on War Room, talking about transhumanism and the war against humanity. That is the subtitle of his new book, Dark Aeon. It's a monster, but uh, I didn't realize how big it was when I was reading the Kindle. Anyhow... That just dropped. It came out in Canada just in the last week. It came out in the U.S. over the summer. And we're going to talk about uh, transhumanism, what it means, what it's all about, and uh, what the implications are for us mere mortals. Joe, how are you? Welcome to Bomb Thrower TV. Good, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. You want to just start off with basic background how you came to end up writing this book and and uh, be where you are today. I know you've got an interesting background in the music industry, um, which I can appreciate being a failed musician myself, but uh, you had a different path through that. So tell us a bit about that and, and then we'll get up to speed. Yeah, you know, leading up to the process that really uh, produced the book, yeah, I worked as an entertainment rigger for, uh, you could say, 20 years, uh, but for 15 solid years in my professional career. And I would say that probably gave me a very, a very good indication of what happens when you deploy uh, massive, sophisticated mind control systems all over the, the planet. <laughs> and uh, going from there, you know, I mean, I went back and forth between the arena and academia. Uh, in academia, I studied comparative religion, evolutionary biology. Uh, and then in, for my graduate degree, I, I studied cognitive and evolutionary science as they pertain to religion. That's a whole other conversation, but it certainly informed the way that I view transhumanism. Uh, you know, many transhumanists would openly say that their belief system is in fact a religion. Some have actually got a tax exemption because of that. But um, yeah, it, it definitely shaped the way I think about not only transhumanism as, an, as a series of ideas, but also technology itself and how it comes to slide quite neatly into the, the cognitive biases that religion occupies. But it was really the last two and a half years working with Steve Bannon uh, on the war room. Uh, for two and a half years, I have really done nothing but absorb transhumanist philosophy and cover the latest technologies that correspond to that philosophy. And that really is what culminated in Dark Eon. And from this point, uh, I am simply hoping to make the case that this techno-religion is having a profound impact already. It will continue to do so. But after that, Mark, after that, I I think maybe I'll go back to the realm of the humans okay 
Well, it's uh, through Steve Bannon that you and I met because I originally met Steve also on the transhumanist theme. I was supposed to be writing a book about what I called the dangers of techno-utopianism, of which transhumanism was like one out of four elements. But I was really more concerned about um, just the whole technocratic mindset, this belief system that um, expert managers and technocrats can actually massage reality and govern it according to their whiteboard models. And uh, that's one of the things that, that stood out from your book as I read it, because I looked at it all as this is tower, tower of Babel material. This is humanity peak hubris this is um this belief system that we can master every moving molecule of our ecosystem and universe and 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 govern it through software and algos you're calling this transhumanism specifically a war against humanity do you want to elaborate on that on the difference sure much like the the title itself dark eon it has a double meaning transhumanism seeks to go beyond the human right it's transhumanism is the desire to use technology to transcend our biological and social limitations in the process of that the concept of the human as we are now uh the, whether you stick with just the physical human or you explore the idea or adhere to the idea that we are much more than our bodies and are in fact souls Transhumanism is a spiritual and psychological war against our humanity, what we are, the definition of humanity, the continued existence of humanity as we are. But there's also a strain of transhumanism, the posthumanist strain, uh, which seeks to completely move beyond uh, any traces of the human if necessary. They believe that artificial intelligence and robotics, nanotechnology, that all of these will make way for a life 3.0, an evolutionary competitor. And we can either become something like a parasitic uh, tapeworm living inside that machine, uh, or perhaps we'll be dispensed with entirely. You know, by the end of the book, I go into some of the ideas that came out of the transhumanist movement that indeed, uh, if the machine doesn't kill all humans, humans will kill each other in order to build these machines and those who build those who are willing to kill others in order to build the machines do so with the implicit knowledge that the machine may in, in fact have no use of them if all this sounds like uh, some sort of uh, mythic story it's because it is uh, and and hence the religious element we're talking about prophecies and prophecies that have not in any way been fulfilled one-to-one, -one, and I would argue that no prophecy really is, but um, there, there have been enough fulfillments of the transhumanist prophecy that are pretty undeniable that I, I'm very uncomfortable about where things are going to go. Not necessarily because I believe any one of the many transhumanist scenarios, but because the unintended consequences of any of these technologies that we've already seen have been horrific and will probably be much more horrific uh, and then you also just have the, the notion that uh, it, it, even if it's a partial approximation of the, real, the realization, right, even if the human machine merger doesn't go much further than what we have right now, um, the mythos around this human machine merger as a positive thing, I, I, I think it really paves the way ideologically for 
technocratic systems of control. The more people believe that this is a natural way of life, the easier it will be for any person, whether they be, uh, you know, leading a corporation or uh, a, a military organization or any other powerful institution uh, to the extent that institution is mechanized and digitized and to the extent those who adhere to it become, in essence, digitized and mechanized, uh, transhumanism and its many counterparts and offshoots, it provides a mythos that makes it natural. It justifies that situation. And while I would definitely separate out, the, as you do, the, uh, the idea of technocracy from transhumanism, they they are def they they are friendly bedfellows, and there are many transhumanists that eschew technocracy, and there are many technocrats that have no desire to upload their minds to machines. Uh, but there the, the connection is direct uh, between the the two worlds, and many of the people who occupy um, those spaces occupy occupy both spaces. I think the common ground between those spaces is what I call, I think you called it in the book, the materialist inversion. And I always called it the great inversion. It's this idea that um, material matter is the base layer of reality and that mind is an epiphenomena of just neurochemicals sloshing around in your brain. Uh, consciousness at the, the logical extreme of that argument, consciousness is really an illusion because it's just the result of, of synapses firing and conscious and souls like souls are not a thing, right? Because that's just something we imagine ourselves to have because everything is really just, you know, gassing off, you know, from consciousness, from matter. And I think like we've talked about this offline, I believe the complete opposite. I believe, you know, the base layer of reality is non-material. It's whatever you want to call it, spiritual and matter condenses down from that. But that belief that matter is the base layer, uh, which is the, the opposite of what most spiritual disciplines or religions would tell you leads to this, to this um, disaster of, of cascading, um side effects of like trying to trying to organize reality around organizing matter but not understanding you know second order effects or not understanding what's actually animating the matter underneath that was kind of long-winded i'll get i'll cut to a very simple question a big cornerstone of all of this is agi right general artificial intelligence which i think because of my view that this is a big inversion, a big mistake, AGI can never happen, right? And um, because it can never happen, a lot of these transhumanist ideations are impossible to ever occur. But you said something offline that kind of made me think twice about it. So maybe we can, if I don't know if you remember what we, what you said, but we can sort of explore that now. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's a, it's a big theme in the book and that inversion that you're talking about, you could say um, it, it, as an idea, right? The idea that consciousness arises from matter. Um, you're well familiar with the Greek philosophers, Democritus and others who uh, believed that very thing that, that all is material and everything rises out of that. And while it only enjoyed a, a, a brief moment in the spotlight until the scientific period after the, you know, once science becomes the base of reality for so many different people and cultures, 
scientism uh there's really uh, for for the longest time there there wasn't much there there were a few places to turn you think about descartes and he basically turned everything into the material everything is mechanical except for that that conscious spark uh in in, in the mind uh but eventually obviously many uh, neuroscientists uh began to chip away at that and now we have uh, philosophers like daniel dennett or um hucksters like samuel uh, sam harris and and many others who believe that the consciousness is just an epiphenomenon, uh, that we are just going for the ride. We aren't even making the decisions. There's not even a free will attached to this consciousness. It's just we're 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 watching it happen. We think we're making the choices. We're really not. And it's it's Harari. You all know Harari also falls on this. Many many of those who believe that artificial intelligence will be a better decision maker oftentimes lean on that idea that we're not even making the decisions anyway, our, our, our brains are. So uh, that there's kind of a juxtaposition there between those two views. Uh, I'm certainly much more on your wavelength as far as that goes. I certainly believe that mind precedes matter. Uh, it's a belief. Uh, the, I think the evidence is actually quite stronger on, uh, quite a bit stronger on the other side, but I, I doesn't really, at this point, we can see that uh, evidence, uh, the amount of evidence is oftentimes corresponding to the amount of funding that any uh, given philosophy gets. So I'm not really all that worried about it. But you, you've got that dichotomy, right? You've got the dichotomy of uh, the idea that all emerges from mind. And that's the basis of pretty much every religious system on Earth. God spoke the universe into existence. Or in the case of Buddhism, all is mind and Buddha descended from Tashita heaven in order to deliver the enlightenment uh, to that that all is in fact mind um, you've got in in Hinduism the idea that one of the many creation stories that Vishnu has dreamt this all into be, dreamt this all into being we exist within the mind of God and on and on so on and so forth <clears throat> the materialist inversion of that though is you know it, it, it goes the other direction now, uh, evolution is driving blindly up beneath us. It's based on a series of rules. Uh, and, and as those rules shape matter uh, coming into being and energy coming into being uh, from that as an epiphenomenon, you have mind. And transhumanists want to extend that out to the point, as you noted, uh, at least many transhumanists, not all, uh, it, so that you have artificial general intelligence, the God, the mind that preceded all existence in the traditionalist way of being a way of thinking uh, is now uh, to be created. You're going to bring it into existence with this godlike system, whether it's at Google, whether it's at uh, OpenAI, or whether it's a small outfit like SingularityNet. That's the idea. We'll create a god, or maybe we'll create gods, and we'll all live underneath these polytheistic algorithmic beings. I think that's actually uh, quite likely. In fact, I would say we already live in a system in which um, much smaller gods rule many elements of our society that, uh, that so many, in fact, that it's, um, it's, it's, almost, it's almost to the point where you think maybe this is never going away. And I, I don't think so in our lifetimes, but uh, maybe this will continue going forward. I, I, I have faith that it will fall on its own weight. But uh, just to, to close all that out, so you've got those two ideas, right? And, and this idea of, of artificial general intelligence. Well, there are many who don't believe that artificial intelligence even needs to be conscious in order to get off the ground. 
they they simply believe that uh, the the calculations themselves the, the, themselves the intelligence itself can exist without consciousness, and uh, I, I, there is merit to that. So you think about a calculator. This is the example I use a lot. Uh, if, if I could do calculations in my head at that speed, you would be like, wow, Joe is very smart. Even if I was stupid in every other aspect of my life, if I was like Rain Man. Uh, but but if I could do that one thing, you'd be like, man, Joe's smart. And, you, and even if I'm just like I am right now, you wouldn't say Joe's smart because he can talk a lot or because he can you know, take the trash out efficiently. You would say Joe's smart because I could do all these wild calculations in my head. It's a form of intelligence. And so even a calculator, as dumb as it is, as mechanistic as it is, uh, I think implicitly a calculator does represent artificial intelligence. It's just very, 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 very narrow. And these newer systems, whatever their limitations, are spectacular. They simply didn't exist before. Nothing like that existed before. GPT is phenomenal. Uh, yes, it does all this stupid stuff. Yes, it's oftentimes artless. Uh, I think that the same could be said of a small child, and this is the way that transhumanists see it that we are in an embryonic phase. These, these AIs are like children. And the dream going forward, obviously, is to start linking things like GPT to things like vision optical re recognition or um, linking GPT to things like spatial recognition and object manipulation, robotics, basically, and link all of these different narrow intelligences together uh, in order to create a, a, a one generalized mind. I'm completely agnostic as to whether that could happen i'm fairly agnostic as to whether or not it's conscious uh but I, I i think some version of it is already happening and so whether or not it's it, it fits you your philosophy or my philosophy that's their religious belief and as they see the manifestation of their prophecies one by one by one it gains energy it gains power and I don't think anyone would deny the power of Silicon Valley, nor the power of DARPA and the Defense Department in general, nor the power of Wall Street or the CCP. And this, this, this religious conviction, we are creating gods in silico. These gods will, in fact, have better decision-making capacity than humans. They will be like calculators times a billion, if you could do that calculation in your head, right? I can't. Um, and uh, so... Uh, you know, I, in one sense, I think it's very, very important, these questions. Is it conscious or not? Is it actually intelligent or not? or not? Is it like a human or not? Those things are really, really important. But on the ground, what's going to be most important, I believe, uh, on the ground is going to be how many people believe this? How, how close is that approximation to, their, to, to this expectation? How close to that will the machine actually come? And if it comes sufficiently clo uh, close to inspire mass belief, well, then you have a religious cult that doesn't, they can actually call fire down from the sky. It's not, it, it may not be a one-to-one a one -one precision strike every time, but they can call fire down from the sky. It's, um, it's quite alarming in the long run, maybe the short run. It's very... Um eschatological i'm probably mangling the word you know i like the singularity is is the end time you know it's the jubilation it's the it's the it's the awakening or it's the return of the of 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 god really but it's very you know it's a material bastardization of the entire um you know mythological construct that exists in so many different religions um you know wh whether 
it matters if these things become conscious. I think there's this underlying assumption that they that either they are already, we've already seen some people saying that. You mentioned the one Google engineer in your book, but it if it, if they don't assume that it will that it will attain consciousness or become conscious and sentient, it almost makes no sense to go there because then we're literally overtly saying we're going to hand over our entire agency to something that's like a can opener. It has no sentience or understanding of it. I'm right. thinking um, you mentioned something that I have so many notes from what you said that I'm trying to just hold the thread together coherently. There's a Klaus Schwab quote. Um, I can't remember if you mentioned it in your book. I mentioned it the other day in something I was writing. He wrote in 2017, at a Davos meeting, he was talking with um, Sergey Brin from Google. Yes, yes. I'll just read it out. I might just splice in the actual quote when I edit this. The technology now is, and uh, digital technologies mainly have an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. But then the next step could be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. I'll let you just you know comment on that kind of. Um religious belief in these algos that we already know aren't aren't closely like as near effective as we think they are yeah it's going to be a, a real a shit show i think <laughs> as it already has been it, it, even you know the big problem is that a lot of those models do work especially in engineering uh, in biology it becomes trickier uh, more faulty uh, once you get up to things like social network prediction, it becomes even faultier. So that would be what you're talking about there, predicting the, the social sentiment uh, or the political sentiment in the populace. And uh, the idea is that and it's a very common idea among you know, techno futurists, transhumanists, so on and so forth. This idea that as the models get better and better, as they become more and more predictive, if you went, say, five, 10 election cycles, and before the cycle, you had an algorithm that predicted how the, the vote would be tallied. And every single time it was correct, uh, the, the, no, the idea is, well, it, you know, wouldn't you then reach the point when you could just dispense with the election entirely and just rely on the algorithm to shift government policy? A lot of people are talking like this. Uh, you know, already you've got that fucking idiot Kevin McCarthy talking about uh, you know, th this is going to either we can stand in the way of it or we can we can uh, facilitate it, whatever, however you put it. Um, you know, and, and he, he goes on to talk about that the, the efficiency in government could be increased, that, um, you know, the efficiency and effectiveness of, of of how we respond to the will of the people and all that. I, I, you know, these dum dums would probably line up for algocracy. And that's what that, you know, that's the the, the term that uh, Avori Morik uh, really turned me on to it, and it's, it's stuck in my mind ever since. Uh, Nick Bostrom writes about it and, and, and others. But this notion of, of algocracy, many people criticize it, many people openly want it. It's, it's the idea that as these algorithms become better and better, 
uh, we will either openly be ruled by them uh, or we'll be implicitly ruled by them so that even the decision makers ultimately make their decisions based on these algorithms and the models of the world that they create. And uh, algocracy, we already exist in a soft in a soft algocracy. Many of us, uh, you know, and myself included at this moment in my life, it hasn't been that long, but certainly at this moment in my life, much of my life is now ruled by an algorithm or a bunch of different algorithms. This is something Harari talks about a lot, that we are, in essence, becoming fused with these algorithms. It's becoming very difficult to distinguish our own decisions from the algorithms that have fed us the information upon which we based the decisions or maybe even just made the decision for us. You know, your calendar, uh, your, your boss put something in your calendar. Now that's your behavioral pattern going forward. And there are many, many, many such cases. So when Schwab talks about, uh, you know, the, the idea of prescriptive algorithms rather than descriptive, we already live there in many ways, but he's talking about the extreme. And, you know, Schwab, everybody talks about Schwab. You, you've, you've made this point many times, too. It's, it's really important, I think, that people will understand Klaus Schwab is not ruling anything, mm. you know, he's just talking about the, yes, he influences a lot. Um, the policy papers that come out of the World Economic Forum oftentimes get implemented. It, it, it's very influential. But for the most part, you know, he's downstream of much more powerful organizations. So when he's talking to Sergey Brin about uh, algorithms uh, deciding elections, or you can imagine any other behavior, any other social outcome, he's speaking on behalf uh, of of Google, you know, even with Google sitting there, he's speaking on behalf of Amazon. He's speaking on behalf of uh, BlackRock and State Street. He's speaking on behalf of those people. I honestly don't know to what degree they determine his thoughts, uh, how much his algorithm is determined by their algorithms. Uh, I'm sure he probably has much uh, independence on his own. But by and large, the World Economic Forum and, and the sentiments that come out of it, including something so uh, despicable as the idea of all of us being ruled by algorithms, that's coming downstream from those powerful organizations. And it's also coming downstream from extremist thinkers like the transhumanists. Uh, you know, the World Economic Forum really is a place where transhumanists, actual transhumanists and their ideas are connected with billionaires, are connected with these tech companies and their executives, and are, of course, connected to uh, government officials. Uh, so, yeah, to, to close that out, I'll just say that the more we live in an algocracy, the more human decision making is, is weighted towards the machine. I, I don't I, to me, it's going to be hell on earth. Uh, you know, the, I think that you're going to see more and more people who choose not to do that. And those who love it, it's very convenient. I just like it. What's your problem with it? And um, I, I just I have a, I have a sense that there's a certain relativism to it. A lot of people really like the idea of it. They like the idea of being covered in biosensors that tell them how, when to eat and how to exercise. Uh, they like the idea of self-surveillance. Uh, or even uh, authoritarian surveillance. I think that's going to be one of the main problems going forward is those who take the mark and those who don't, so to speak. Yeah. When you talk about, you know, the World Economic Forum being downstream from other organizations, and I'm think I'm listening to you and I'm hearing this and I'm like, I still don't think of the world, you know, Davos and Klaus Schwab, I still don't think of this 
as being the output of a secular human conspiracy sitting around a star chamber saying, this is what we're going to tell Klaus to say at the next economic forum. I've always said these are the outputs of dynamics, right? And forces like market forces even. Um, so it's not being directed in a conspiracy like manner. It's just kind of the result of flawed incentives, you know, perverse incentives, that kind of thing. But I also, I mean, I co I'm comfortable talking about it with you. You mentioned it in your book. There's this very, like if it's downstream from something, it could be downstream of an ethos that doesn't quite ground itself in our Cartesian reality. And I'm thinking Rudolf Steiner. I'm thinking the spirit of Araman. Like I'm thinking this whole impetus that, that, is all is otherworldly. Let, let's just call it that, right? I don't like the word supernatural because I don't think there is anything outside of, you know, react naturally reoccurring reality. But just reality is is a lot more nonlinear than than a lot of people think. And so there's this, you know, Steiner was saying this for a hundred years, or he's saying it a hundred years ago. You know, humanity is going to lose contact with its own soul, with its own spirituality. It's going to it's going to weigh itself down into matter and become obsessed in matter. And that's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, that's what it looks like. It means that suddenly you have high priests talking about algor, you know, algor, algocracies or however you pronounce it. That's that's what this looks like. Um and it's and it's unavoidable. I mean, Steiner he even went so far to say that Araman would incarnate as a human, you know, sometime around around now, like the late uh, the late nineteen hundreds, early twenties. Um, you know, I don't know if I go that far with the trip, but I've always jokingly said, you know, a few a few of our tech billionaires sort of ticked the box on a possibility. Um, yeah, what was that picture that you had? I wish we could just throw it up right now. That picture you had put up of Mark Zuckerberg next to that uh, sculpture this, that Steiner had made of Aramon. It's, it's yeah, perfect. It's uncanny. I'll, yeah, it, I'll put it in when I do the edit. I'll put it in, and um, yeah, I mean, I looked at it and I'm like, I did it almost for comic value, but it was pretty damn close. Uh, I mean, somebody that notable you want to find a resemblance to a picture. There's enough pictures of them out there. You're going to find it, but it kind of looks uncanny. It really does. And then, you know, where, where is meta going? Um, they're going into the metaverse. They're it's exactly what, what, you know, the, um, the, the world covered with digital spider webs, you know, that you were talking about from Steiner in the book. And yeah. Um, I, I tell you what, if, if you don't mind, so, you know, as I mentioned in here, that for half the time I wrote the book, I was staying in the house of an anthroposophist. Yeah. And uh, it was really wild, man. I mean, you know, I, I, I one of my closest mentors uh, for the last two decades is an anthroposophist. And I'm not myself an anthroposophist. Uh, you know, there are many things that I think are very, very valuable. But let's just say that that's a. Steiner is a, a wild trip and it's not one that I'm, I, I'll take it in small doses. I'm not ready for the, uh, I'm not ready to, for the blast off, but something very strange happened. Uh, when I was staying in the house of this anthroposophist, 
He told me about Steiner predicting the internets, the way he put it, that he predicted the world wide web. It was kind of vague. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with him a lot. Uh, I'm with uh, a number of other anthroposophists in that community. They met every week, um, went and spoke with them uh, on one occasion for a day. Uh, and so nobody could trace it down, right? Like I would ask all of them, where's this quote come from? Where, where is it? You know, there's all this stuff about this prediction that vaccines would degrade the human being, this prediction of the, the bee colony collapse and all that. They, they all had that chapter and verse, but not this one. So uh, nobody could find it. Uh, it went on for about a month. And one night, the uh, my host just slapped a book down on the kitchen counter. He's like, I got it. I'm like, sweet. And he's like, but uh, it, I'm sorry, it, it was uh, a gentleman who had written a book about Rudolf Steiner and technology, right? Just taking his his uh, lectures about technology out and, and anthologizing them. He's like, I got it. I got the anthology, but it doesn't seem to have the quote in it. So whatever, we'll just keep looking. It was very, it was wild. I, I picked up the book. I opened it up directly. It was a, what was a page? I wrote it down here. Um, page 52. And uh, sure enough, there was the quote. And I, I, it, you don't have to believe in clairvoyance, nor do you have to believe in uh, Rudolf Steiner's visions. You think about in 1921, um, the way he described the future from a, a vision, and Rudolf Steiner spent half or most of his life in these visions of other worlds. Uh, and I'll just read a little bit of it to give you a sense. Um, you've already read it, but to give the audience a sense of why it's so wild that someone in 1921 would be dreaming this stuff up. He said, for the, for the concrete implication is that the intellectual, shadow-like thoughts spun inwardly by human beings today will one day cover the earth like a spider's web. That, you know, just as you described, that, that thoughts will be materialized, that mind will come into matter, and they'll cover the earth like a spider's web, like a worldwide web with a web crawler and everything. But then he goes on. He says, from the earth, there will spring forth a horrible brood of beings. In character, they will be in between the mineral and the plant kingdoms. They will be beings resembling automatons with an overabundant intellect of great intensity, uh, not unlike an AI. Along with this development, which will spread over the earth, the latter will be covered as if by a network or web of ghastly spiders possessing tremendous wisdom. Maybe you could... Uh, punch in your question into a search engine to get that wisdom. Who knows? Yeah. And in, in their outward movements, they will imitate everything human beings have thought up with their shadowy intellect, which did not allow itself to be stimulated by what was what it is to come through new imagination and through spiritual science in general, as it is covered with layers of air today, or occasionally with swarms of locusts, the earth will be covered with hideous mineral plant-like spiders that intertwine with one another most cleverly, but in a frighteningly evil manner. To the extent that human beings have not enlivened their shadowy intellectual concepts, they will have to unite their being, not with the benevolent entities who are seeking to descend, but instead with these ghastly mineral plant-like spidery creatures spidery creatures on a web made of thoughts full of wisdom that human beings will be forced to merge with it's a very familiar theme uh conjured up in his imagination anyway 102 years ago pretty wild
Yeah. Um, I've interviewed Gary Lockman a couple of times because I did some of his audio books and he called that the angel of the library, right? Like you've got piles of books all around you and suddenly you just pick one off the shelf and, and there's the passage you need to find. It's right there, you know? Was that book uh, the electronic doppelganger by any chance? Um, it's no, called- uh, it's uh, the title of that collection is Mystech. Um, okay, M Y S then capital P E Mystech, kind of a play there. Anyway, he he's actually a program. He's a technologist himself. I think he was a programmer and then a business owner in the the IT industry, but um, became an anthroposophist and began doing collections like that yeah uh, it's fairly new i mean that quote um someone had brought it up to me uh, maybe two months ago or something like that so i don't think they got it from him um yeah it's probably all over the place you know how steiner lectures are they, they're so widely diffused and there's a million different combinations uh, his idea though steiner's idea of uh, lucifer and Aramon and and christ as the balancing principle again that's not I'm I'm very comfortable imagining the universe from another person's eyes. It doesn't bother me any if, if someone believes something completely different from me. Uh, I don't believe exactly that, but there is a tremendous insight in it. I, you know, the, the idea that Christ represents the spirit, this purity that is descended to earth to help unite human beings, to bring us out of, uh, if not enslavement, certainly entanglement with the material. There's a Gnostic element there, but uh, Steiner you know, he wasn't a Gnostic. He was aware of Gnosticism. He, he was not a Gnostic, but there's an element of it there. But then that description, rather than this one evil, uh, this description that the evil has a multiplicity in it. And on the one side, you've got Lucifer, uh, and the, the Lucifer is that youthful, energetic, arrogant energy, the, the energy of growth, of power, of selfishness. And then the, the, from there, the calcifying power of Armin, right? That, that, that calculating that overly intellectual, that that manipulative, that controlling element, uh, the calcifying element, as Steiner would say, the death uh, principle, and it, it's uh, it, it's actually to me a very. I think even if I don't spend my day looking for Armand and Lucifer uh, as a as a categorization of reality, I think it's actually really compelling, and and also just the idea that. Um, that these things are fairly necessary, right? That, that Lucifer and Aramon, while they are the source of all of these evils, um, that in, in the end, these things are necessary. You, you're not going to just escape them like that. And I, I think a lot of religious fundamentalists spend a lot of time denying how much they do in the devil's service. Uh, by the devil, I mean the seven deadly sins and all of that. And um especially as described by Steiner uh, as the, the dual factors of selfish arrogance and, and uh, manipulative and calculating control. It's uh, it's, it really is just part of our human nature and uh, there will not be a time until we are all angels that those forces are not necessary for us to survive. Uh, anyway, before I utter any more heresies, I'll, I'll turn it over, but yeah, it's um, I, I think I have a lot of appreciation for Steiner's, vision and certainly a lot of appreciation for the people who have been inspired by it that are that are in my life so i won't fixate on him for the entire podcast but i mean he did say multiple times that not only was 
all three incarnations is how he phrased them were, were necessary and unavoidable. Well, I mean, he said they were unavoidable. Two of them had already happened. So, but he said Aramon was, so that makes it pretty unavoidable. Yeah. But, but that um, they were necessary. They were necessary for man's evolution. And when I was writing, you know, my book on techno utopianism, which I still want to get back on the front burner one of these days, um, I'm just working on the other one right now on CBDCs. But anyway, it was very Luciferian, right? The Tower of Babel is is a Luciferian construct because it is humanity trying to usurp God. We're trying to become God. And we're literally saying it all over the place, Kurzweil and, and all of them. We are becoming our own. We're inventing God or we're becoming God. And that's a very Luciferian aspiration. And then... On the other side of the, the coin, we've got this, this counter directional force in Aramon, which is like everything is material, everything is nature, every everything is everything is matter. You don't have a brain, you don't have a mind, you don't have a soul, you don't have any of that stuff. You're just kind of like meat walking around. And if you're lucky, you can even ditch the meat and just upload your consciousness into the cloud, which I always thought was the ultimate contradiction in in those terms because at the logical extreme consciousness is an illusion so you're going to just upload this illusion into the cloud and live forever it doesn't really make sense at that point but you know that is kind of um the extreme argument at that point um i was going to yeah so speaking of kurzweil again and there's others too like um um Yudkowsky, what's his first name? Uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky, yeah. Now he sort of shifted his 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 attitude, that, you know, on where he thinks all this is going. But they both still have this belief. This kind of goes back to what you're saying about: does it matter if it's conscious or not? Does it matter if it's sentient or not? This belief that if something mimics behavior closely enough or indistinguishable from true behavior. It may as well be conscious. It may as well be sentient, even if it's not. And I find that to be like not really logical. Like if it's not sentient, it's not sentient. It doesn't matter how well it mimics right. sentience. And 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 you know, right back to um, you know, Yudkowsky's famous thought experiment. It wasn't his. Someone posted it on his website. The Rocco's basilisk. Oh, Rocco, Rocco's basilisk. Yeah, Rocco's basilisk. Yeah, yeah. Where it was like, well. I guess now that we've mentioned it, we kind of have to sort of bring the readers up to speed on it really quickly. Do you want to do that, like the 30-second version, or you want me to do it? Yeah, Rocco's Basilisk is, uh, is it, the idea is uh, similar to Pascal's wager. If yeah. an artificial superintelligence is going to exist one day, it will have the power to resurrect all existent souls now. If in this life you supported the creation of the artificial superintelligence it will reward you by either resurrecting you or if you're still alive at the time it will give you a heaven you can upload your consciousness into and will keep you around and keep you entertained if on the other hand you argued against the creation of artificial superintelligence or general intelligence then it will resurrect you and torture you for all eternity and um when uh, roko posted that on less wrong Many, many years ago, 
Yankowski uh, came back with this scathing response. You idiot. Uh, now you're giving it the idea. Uh, and it's uh, that kind of gives it's, it's, it's humorous because it gives you an idea of like how extreme they are in their thought, but also how seriously certain members of that 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 movement take it to just, you know, Yankowski is really, really intelligent. Um, yeah. But like many really intelligent, pretty autistic, neurotic people, he has these big blind spots. That he's not very fond of having pointed out. And just, I don't know, these these weird emotional outbursts and temper tantrums like that. Um, people listen right now. You have politicians on Capitol Hill, but many people I respect actually uh, listen to Yudkowsky's warnings about the coming human exterminating artificial superintelligence. And they take it very, very seriously. You got published in fucking time uh, for, you know, that's like the normies Bible. And so, you know, he's his ideas are being taken very seriously. And I think he should be taken seriously. He's very intelligent, but he should be taken with a grain of salt too. Jesus. He's he's really a wacky dude anyway. Because even his antidote to a artificial intelligence exterminate extermination event is to impose basically a dystopian um dictatorship to moderate. You know, we're either going to be moderated by the algorithm that tells us what to do, or we're going to be yeah. moderated by these guardians of the temple that say you can't invent that because that's going to lead towards AI. You know, uh, it, it, towards the end of the book, I, I weave that in together. You've got two other thinkers that uh, preceded him that had equally horrific ideas. Nick Bostrom, uh famous for his book, Superintelligence. It's at this point, probably the most, one of the best written books exploring all the possible outcomes. And Bostrom suggested on multiple occasions that you need a global totalitarian government. Uh, his paper, The Vulnerable World Hypothesis, argues that to protect from all sorts of disasters, but including artificial superintelligence, you need a, a governmental body that is global, and has the power to shut it down no matter what. And part of that is surveillance. Uh, he's uh, previously argued that every person of any worth at all needs to be surveilled, that they would have freedom tags that uh, surveilled everything that they did, and you would have Patriot stations to process the data and all this. Um, and the idea being that if you have the potential to create nanobot swarms that eat everything, or even just bioweapons, or if you have the potential to create a deep fake farm, or if you have the potential to create an artificial superintelligence that can kill everybody. Well, if you accept that as true, which I, I again, I'm quite agnostic on the possibility. But I, I suspect anything like that that will happen will be half-assed, which may be even worse. But, um, but for him, he takes it so seriously, he's willing to squash the freedom of everyone on the planet, uh, at least implicitly, because otherwise we'll all die. And Max Tegmark, who wrote the book uh, Life 3.0, uh, he also talks about that as one of the possible paths forward in regard to artificial, true artificial intelligence or artificial general intelligence, that uh, it'll just never happen because of a 19, he, what he calls the 1984 scenario. And it's very counterintuitive because people think of 1984 as a, a technological system that is enslaving people and controlling them and so they automatically associate any kind of transhumanist or technocratic mentality with 1984 right but uh it's it's this weird gray zone gray zone 
where many of the people who want to avoid the the full development of certain technologies see 1984 as a barrier to that universal surveillance and control uh, to keep a an even larger technocratic artificial superintelligence from taking everything over. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange landscape, and uh, you know, I, I can't say I enjoyed writing this book, but I will say that uh, exploring all these people and their personalities and weaving them together, uh, there there was a little bit of fun involved, a little bit. It comes out in the book. It's it's really like it's an entertaining read because sometimes you read a book and and this is not the case with yours that there's these attempts at humor that are just kind of like, I wish they wouldn't weren't trying to be funny and would just stick to the subject matter, but you're really witty when you write. Like, I just find it like I, it's a treat reading your book. I might even have, I, pr- I appreciate that. Mark. Yeah. I might even have a couple quotes here, but I can't find them off the top of my head. Um, You know, the, the whole let's build a, um, a totalitarian state to prevent an AI, you know, the exterminator Skynet. I mean, people are proposing the same thing for uh, climate, you know, alarmism. I don't mean to get too far off the beaten path here, but the whole degrowth mantra, you know, I just, I just sum it up as degrowth is communism, but you know, that same, we have to take away everybody's freedom so that we can all live in this uniform level of impoverishment and misery. So we don't have this worst case scenario of, um, you know, we heat the world up to whatever we think it's going to do. You know, it's really not that far off the path, even though right now I'm not aware of any major modeling system that seeks to unify the climate modeling with social modeling and all of that, that, uh, that would be used in a way to, you know, as a kind of social credit score. But the intention is absolutely there. A thousand percent, the intention is there. Uh, Bill Gates is talking about this. He talks about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and people at the World Economic Forum, you, if you just kind of search through the articles and things like that, their white papers, it comes up a lot. You, we will use artificial intelligence to surveil what energy is being used where, and we'll also use artificial intelligence to police the system and you know maybe you know take your credits if you are not if you're using too much carbon or putting out too much carbon things like that i have yet to see like this master plan like okay this is what we're going to go with but you see all the inklings of of the ideas coming in and all and a lot of coders are modeling right now climate change and modeling the the industrial system for the output i I think it's probably only a matter of time uh, before something like the Chinese model is put over many nations in the West. I mean, arguably it already is, but in a fully digital form in a, in a Chinese sharp eyes, uh, shit, uh, I almost said shitty, uh, brain city brain, the sharp eyes city brain model uh, where you have uni- ubiquitous surveillance and data centers that are dedicated to you uh, raking that surveillance data over with algorithms, identifying who the evildoers are, the miscreants are, and then automated, uh, you know, an automated system to punish or reward them. Um, I think that that's pretty likely in the U.S. The ESG and all that is a kind of precursor to it. Uh, so it, it does. These concepts can be tricky because, you know, our transhumanists pushing to have everyone uh, under control, uh, under the government's thumb for climate change. 
Uh, as a whole, uh, no. Uh, you know, many transhumanists want to see the government uh, done away with, by and large. You know, transhumanism, by and large, at least my my reading of the crowd, uh, by and large, is much more libertarian mm-hmm. than uh, authoritarian. But it's it's ironic because underneath that libertarian spirit, you see the same people arguing for individual liberty and morph- morphological freedom and all that, dreaming of a world of hive minds. So, yeah. the, you know, with all that individuality, it ends up just fusing into this collective hive mind, whether you're actually uploaded or you're just directly connected with your brain. And in the end, this vision of the singularity, this this vision of a, an AI God or a, a pantheon of AI gods coming to rule the earth and especially like Kurzweil's way out there vision of once it comes online and once it really starts doing its thing post-singularity, it'll start converting any available matter into computronium benevolently. But, you know, it, basically everything around it will just start to become computable matter. And uh, even if you just set aside the plausibility of it, the psychology underneath is so wild because Kurzweil himself, he's, he's not a libertarian, really. But he is very much about his individual self, right? He's a very kind of selfish, egomaniac kind of guy. And yet he dreams of giving himself over to this godlike AI. And he dreams of that AI suffusing every last molecule on the planet and then out into the solar system. Uh, it's uh, if, if I were to talk about how I'm going to go into I don't know, Sweden and get all of my Nordic brothers and sisters together to invade all the the southern hemisphere and take it over so that our our sperm and ova will will eventually go on to seed all life in Africa and it will and you will either live under our rule or not i mean you could say that's the entire history of colonialism but anyway uh, <laughs> just to stick with now um that that it, or or we will eradicate you or maybe we'll just eradicate you anyway and we'll do so because we're super intelligent and super powerful, and we have a whole lot of uh, you know battery power. Uh, you obviously, I would be shunned from society. In some in some places like Germany, they would just probably put me in jail, which is not a good thing. But I'm just saying that's that's the standard. If you start talking about genocide, people are like, "Hey, that's not cool. You can't be a genocidal maniac." But these guys, including Sam Altman, and even though Elon Musk is like, "Oh, the AI genocide's coming," but I'm going to build one anyway. Uh, you know, in all of these cases, the the end goal of everything is totalizing. You, you won't be able to escape it. If it's yeah. authoritarian, you won't escape it because you've been ensnared in a society run by an AI algorithmic super god. Uh, or if it's libertarian, it's just a matter of evolution. And if you have not out, if you couldn't out compete the cyborg or the AI then you just simply get left behind. And so it's just this uh, kind of implicit genocide that, that it will be not because of an authoritarian ruler, it'll be because evolution. Um, yeah, I think these ideas are fucking abominable and they, they should be at the very least examined openly and honestly, if not, um, you know, if, if you don't just simply shun these people altogether. But unfortunately, they literally control uh, not, not the lesser transhumanists, but the tech corporations uh, who are oftentimes suffused with these ideas like Google, like OpenAI, they are controlling most of the information flow in the planet and much of the public discourse altogether and uh, quite a bit of the politics and certainly the money. And so, you know, you can say, hey, they're driven by an implicitly genocidal idea all you want. 
in my experience, um, it, it's at least so far, it's not getting a whole lot of traction. Uh, but you know, who knows if, if Dark Eon becomes a bestseller, uh, maybe, maybe it'll, maybe it'll uh, snap people awake. It's not like I'm the only one talking about it either. I think Whitney Webb is a perfect yeah. example of someone who's identified this, uh, Patrick Wood, yourself, um, you know, uh, John Kleisic, uh, you know, uh, even, uh, what's that cat's name? Does the great videos, uh, lives in Japan, uh, Corbett, mm. um, James Corbett, is it? Uh, anyway, I've seen a few of his videos. He's been around a long time, and uh, he's definitely on it. But, yeah, it's it's crazy, Mark, that we live in a time where it's fairly openly discussed that human beings are a stepping stone evolutionarily and we're to be replaced. Uh, and then the soft side of it is, oh, don't worry, you're not going to be replaced. You're just going to become a symbiote. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not encouraged by these ideas, nor the power that a lot of and prestige they they have, uh, nor am I encouraged by the response of day to day people when they learn about it. You know, when I was reading Kurzweil's "The Singularity Is Near," and you know how you you just you know you described how he thinks once this happens, it's going to animate all matter. And Kurzweil, he actually has a whole section in the book, as you're aware, but. Like a lot of these transhumanists, singularitarians believe that we're the universe is inanimate. Like we're the only living things in the universe through some pure fluke. It's that materialist inversion that thinks that because of a special collision of 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 sludge, we became alive, and this has not happened anywhere else in the universe. And so we're going to animate the entire universe with this created life that we created post singularity and it, i'm reading this and thinking this is exactly the plot line of um Werner ving's uh, fire in the deep you know the pestilence that's ripping across the cosmos that's it, i haven't read it oh so it's it's basically supercomputer gets revived by archaeologists it unleashes a super ai that just basically starts converting the universe into these you know computrons except the the you know the big difference there was the universe wasn't empty the universe was teeming with life that was saying wait a minute we don't want to be converted into computrons and so it was like this war against this super intelligent pestilence and i'm reading kurzweil's book and i'm like this is what he's advocating basically yeah. uh it's you know that we become that we create the pestilence but uh, let's we can let's let's wind it down with um, you touched on it a bit with these corporations, right? Like the Googles, the Metas, that you called it the transhuman industrial complex in the book. So let's let's take a, a look at them before we we wind things down for today. Sure, uh, transhumanists by and large aren't very powerful or influential on their own. Uh, their power really lies in the clarity of their ideas. Uh, some of them are crazy and ridiculous, uh, such as Kurzweil's desire to seed the entire universe with computronium. But uh, in the near term, I, I, I'm one reason I'm so disturbed not only by their ideas but by the current uh, by current events is because current technologies, as they're being developed and rolled out are entirely too much like what the transhumanists have dreamt of. And I try to make it clear in the book uh, 
uh, hopefully it came across. There are many, many different ideas boiling up. These are many, many different futures, just as we have many possible futures we may go into. They are generating uh, a lot of different versions of it. But the common denominators of human AI symbiosis, of a kind of cyborg norm, whether it's implanted technology or just something that you can put down anytime that you have developed a, a symbiotic relationship with it, uh, not unlike those birds that land on the backs of rhinos that eat bugs off of them. Uh, that would be us uh, <laughs> eating little uh, snippets of memes off the backs of the back of this big rhino. But um, yeah, I, I think that that resemblance of both the ethic and the product and the overall attitude, the 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 core belief systems in Silicon Valley on up to Seattle and and other places where these tech corporations predominate. Um, they are very transhumanist in their orientation, whether they call themselves that or not. I think transhumanism has definitely become, uh, and which I, which I, you know, to repeat something I'd argued in the book is it's very much akin to Satanism. Now, nobody runs around saying I'm a Satanist. Even the people who do like super satanic entertainment, none of them are like, yeah, but I'm a Satanist, right? Uh, you just simply it's left to be inferred. And I think that the transhumanist orientation in these corporations, uh, be it Google, be it OpenAI, uh, be it Elon Musk's mini projects, or be it DARPA and other uh, elements in the U.S. military, uh, it's very clear that either they both converged, they were reading the same sci-fi, they both converged, or they're inspired by the transhumanists. On occasion, you'll have some, like, for instance, the author of uh, Internet of Bodies, uh, published by Rand Corporation. Uh, it was it was written by Mary Lee. Uh, I believe that that was the one where they actually use the T word. They actually say transhumanist. Very rare. But in, in short, the way I see this, this system, this transhuman industrial complex, the way I see the system is that these ideas long preceded the actual events, the reality. Mind preceded matter, if you could imagine, right? Mm -hmm. And these ideas shape and structure and inspire the actual technologies. They inspire the creation of the technology. They inspire investment in and diffusion of the technology. And of course, these ideas inspire people to purchase and use these technologies unless they're forced down your throat, as they are in many Asian nations. And as we've learned in America post-pandemic, any minute it could be like that here. Uh, and so like this, it's, it, it's, it emanates out of this dream world. And reality is always just going to be an approximation of those dreams. It's never going to be perfect, right? Maybe kind of like uh, no organism on earth is perfect, even if you can sense the dream that upon which it's built. And as these dreams come into reality, those of us who don't see that as heaven are facing a, a hell on earth. And, Right now, America, it's been fairly lax. And Google, of course, has been used to surveil everyone, as has Amazon, as has Apple, uh, as has Microsoft. The government has various agencies, security state agencies, uh, alphabet agencies have partnered with them to get information on specific targets or whole populations. All of that's happening, we know, but we're still, as this these prison walls are built around us, we're still left with a fair amount of choice. So it's kind of imperceptible. It's kind of hard to tell that it's happening. But when the pandemic response came out, it was very clear to everyone that this system had been built and that they would use it 
if they if, if they desired, which they did. It was clunky, thank God, because if it was perfect, then we'd be fucked. But it was it was it's there. It's powerful. It's more powerful than any one of us is. But it's not more powerful at the moment than all of us are. And so I, I really do believe that some degree of motivation is going to be needed, but it, it hopefully will happen, not unlike the Trump phenomenon, but perhaps something that endures. If you're aware that the most powerful corporations and militaries on earth, at least some portion of the people of influence or even in leadership there believe that we are stepping stones in evolution to be replaced by fucking robots, um, then you and, and as your reality more and more fills up with their devices and and as your life is more and more surveilled and controlled by their algorithms um there's really only one choice there's two choices one you can bend over and take it right there or you can uh do everything possible in your power to exert your own will over that system uh, or you can retreat. There's three. You can retreat. You can find some idyllic place that hopefully within your lifetime, nothing's going to be able to touch you there. But in the course of generations and, and over the course of history, uh, these people have thought out the future. Uh, they thought out maybe not every angle. They thought out uh, many, if not most. And they they're very articulate. They're very intelligent. They're not completely insane. Some of them are, but even they're very articulate and intelligent. Uh, we're going to need people like that on our side. We're going to need more of them. And we're going to need more people on our side to be thinking about the future. Even if they're thinking about a future that's a lot like now or even a lot like 1950, they're going to have to be thinking real hard about how they're going to make that happen in a future that's competing with their futures. Because, uh, you know... I know Gab has their new AI system and all, but uh, yeah, give me a fucking break. Uh, it's not going to, you know, it, Christ GPT is not going to take down chat GPT. Ain't happening. So, yeah, um, I, I think that's what we're really facing, though. I think that even people like Elon Musk, who are ostensible allies, um, if to the extent you hold him up as a hero for political gain or just to be cool, uh, what you're doing is you're signing on to his future vision in some approximation. And if you like that, if you like the idea of super intelligent AI and brain chips and going to Mars and living basically on constant lockdown in a fucking dead desert. Uh, <laughs> and if you like the idea of having robots around to, to jerk you off or whatever those things are going to do, which by the way, he talked about doing, um, uh, you know, or he didn't say it like that. He's much more of a gentleman, maybe then, uh, you know, if, if that's a future you want to get behind, then yeah. Okay, cool. He's not PC. Fine. Cool. Uh, he, he said he's taken on the ADL, man. He's going to, he's going to fix it all, man. Yeah. But the, the, to me, it's that long term vision and these corporations and the military, um, the, the corporate military alliance, uh, that, that complex, that's really the power. That's where it's, it's going to happen. And that's really what we have to worry about. So it's a long way of saying, I think we're going to make it, Mark. I think we're, I think we're going to be all right. I, I would leave it there, but I got to ask you one more thing because um, you work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. When I met Steve Bannon, you know, a few years ago, he believed this issue, the transhumanist issue was going to be, the number one election issue of 2024. Now, obviously, you know, the, 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 the Tomber, the zeitgeist has shifted a lot since then, but, um, and I'm not asking you to speak for him. I'm just like you in the war room in that 
you know, that, that observer that you guys are covering, like, do, where do you see this fitting in, um, in the election, in the zeitgeist and the attention of the people, like in the next now to a couple of years out? I don't think that politics is going to fix it. I uh, would like to think it would. I, I think if people like Josh Hawley have their way and we have stronger and stronger data protection, that it's going to be better. Uh, I think Josh Hawley has his head wrapped around this pretty freaking well. And I, I would, and there are others too. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, oddly enough, uh, she's not, she's, she understands uh, a lot of the stakes. So the more that you have people in Congress that are able to break out of the normal, like, oh, is it billionaires or, oh, is it, are they doing a socialism or, you know, and, and really see it for what it is, the, the technological is, in fact, independent of all of these ideological problems. And that if you end up with a right wing singularity or a left wing singularity or some, you know, gay ass, you know, libertarian singularity, uh, it all, all in all. It's going to end up with human beings fusing to machines. And, and, and if it's pristine and perfect, then that's hell. And if it's not pristine and perfect, then literally we're just going to be, you know, mangled automatons with like really poorly wired trodes in our heads. Uh, none of it sounds good to me. So uh, the more people in Congress are at least aware of the, the underlying agendas, the more prepared they're going to be to respond to them. But you know how it is. Legislation is it's not enough. Um, I, I think that it's going to be really important to shape it, but it's not enough. And right now, I mean, you've got the closed door meetings with Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and Sundar Pinchai and Alex Karp from Palantir and all these people meeting with uh, Congress under Schumer to start really hammering out what they're going to do about this whole problem. Well, we can't have any we have no idea what they're saying. Uh, no, this is a big this is a big problem. I, I, I see regulatory capture in the future is the most likely scenario. Uh, Steve would, you know, Steve is much more a man driven by vision. And um, so he is, he is just about like, we've got to stop it in some way or another, you know, even if it means going full Yudkowsky. Um, I, I wouldn't want to see it go full Yudkowsky unless in fact, you're talking about an actual, you know, godlike AI that's coming up. Then we can start lobbing bombs at it. Uh, but, I, you know, starting there, I think the biggest thing we need to do, look, one of the most practical, I know I've gone on uh, too long here, but one of That's the most fine. practical things that has been brought up, and I'm not a huge uh, Vivek Ramaswamy fan. Um, I, he's, he's okay. Um, he's Hindu. That's cool. That's about the coolest thing about him, if you ask me. Other than that, he's kind of a, I don't know, a puppet. But uh, or puppet's been not the right word, a parrot. He's very much a parrot. He just kind of says whatever is good. But but he has argued, as have others, that uh, children should not be allowed to use their smartphones in schools and that um, children, by and large, that there should be some sort of regulation as far as like selling electronics to kids and stuff like that. You know, kids shouldn't be on these social media platforms digitizing their personalities until they're old enough to at least know what they're doing. I think that that is probably the most sane path forward. Doesn't involve killer robots. It doesn't involve people being injected with nanobots that turn them into zombies. Uh, nor does it involve marrying your your you know real doll. Uh, but it does involve protecting the next generation from some of the worst elements that are coming. So even just sane stuff like that, uh, China does it. If it's good enough for the freaking Chinese, surely it's good enough for us. 
I, I think those sorts of things will be the the real where it happens in the political realm because super intelligence and all that even the most aggressive predictions which is now musk oddly enough you know a year ago he's like oh you know 2045 is way too soon it'll be much more gradual now that he's getting in the ai game oh the singularity is coming in the next five to six years um make of that what you will i don't know what his calculations are but i that's still not going to be 2024 I do think, though, that a lot of uh, traction will be – you'll have a lot of traction uh, on these technological issues, including AI. And I think that, for me, the one that I'll support, no matter what, uh, will be the one who has some degree of Ted Kaczynski spirit in them. Not saying that they have to start blowing stuff up. Not saying that they have to, you know, call in their, uh, their speeches on the Senate floor from their cabins out in the woods. But I am saying some awareness that there's a problem inherent in the technologies themselves and that the technologies themselves need to be reined in, not the billionaires and not the doing the socialism people, but the technology itself is a problem. That'll get my vote. Unless it's that shrill Pocahontas woman, uh, you know, I have a hard time there. She's super smart. but uh, Huh? Liz Warren? Pocahontas. Yeah. Liz Warren. (laughs) No, but yeah, it's just I, I, I've rambled on long enough about that. I don't think politics is going to be the center of the solution. I think it's going to be personal choice and communal choice. And as that radiates out, you know, the politics is downstream of the culture. The culture is downstream of the spirit. I think that's going to be everything in this fight. Uh, but the politics is part of that process. And at some point, you're going to have to say, no, uh, you can't put a fucking trode in a baby's brain uh, or a teenager's brain in the same way that right now it's like uh you got somebody's got to step in and be like no you can't do that to kids not going to happen if you do it we'll hang you in public um same thing you know on down the the pike i I, even right now and this is the last thing i'll say but anyone who sells a smartphone to anyone under the age of 21 should be brought out into the street and whipped like singapore uh, and and not just a specific number of lashes whip until you can hear the agony in their bodies coming out of them uh, through their, their, their shrieks and their tears. Anybody who sells a smartphone to anybody under 21 and anybody who pulls a smartphone out at dinner, I think should be expelled for a week from the, the community. I mean, li- literally they have to sit outside in the, in the woods for a week and fend for themselves. If they don't make it back. Well, you don't, there goes the smartphone problem. So Another reason that I probably am not the person to ask for political solutions. You know, I'll just briefly say one of our biggest regrets as parents was letting our daughter have a smartphone too early. You know, Um, she's a good kid. Um, She doesn't read books anymore. She used to be able to plow through a 600 page book in like three days now. I mean, turns out she's watching a lot of like, some of the stuff she's watching on YouTube is like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. That's interesting that you're watching that. But we really do pick ourselves for not being like delaying it and not being more vigilant on just the use, you know. And event and, and we hope eventually she'll just like, um, it'll become less you know, let like she'll get more back into reading and she still does athletics and all of that stuff. But it's like, yeah, that was, that was a miss on our part as parents. And I would caution parents who still have younger kids and haven't made that decision yet to put it off as long as possible and to be a lot more vigilant about the usage going on. So 
Um, totally. Hate. How would you have known though? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, I think it's kind of like the sixties, the technological revolutions, a lot like the, the cultural and drug and sex, sexual revolutions of the sixties. I mean, parents kind of knew, you know, especially as time went on, like, Hey, this rock and roll thing's a little crazier than we thought. Like it's actually <laughs> doing some real damage by the seventies, especially. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they were completely unprepared for that world. And I, now you're at a point where that was like over the course of a generation. Now it's like the little micro generations are completely unprepared for the, the issues of the next you know micro generation. So, um, yeah. And what what I, happened I here? So she got her first smartphone and then like a year later, COVID hit. And in Canada, like she was oh, wow. she was home for two and a half years. You know, and it was like, oh, man. OK, just yeah, like I got to work. Just OK, do whatever, you know, and. She was doing Zoom school and stuff like that, and she did well at it, but it was just kind of this conflux of events that by the time it's like, okay, kid, the pandemic's over, crack a book, get outside, go for a walk. It was like this behavior had become kind of entrenched and, you know. A great reset. Yeah. As as, as Klaus Schwab predicted were influenced, that would probably be one area of influence, but... uh, you know, many, many of the new normal uh, digital devices will be a permanent fixture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm very, very encouraged by how many locales are not part of, you know, the, the new normal didn't stick. Yeah. Uh, but in little elements and especially elements like that with kids, yeah. uh, the damage they did. Uh, let's just say that they deserve something akin to the person who sells the cell phone. Maybe, maybe a little worse. Maybe they deserve two days worth of lashings or <laughs> yeah. way worse. I, I do hope that justice is served there, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Joe Allen, the book is dark. Aeon, uh, transhumanism and the war against humanity available at all the, you know, all the usual places. And then you've got a, you, you've got a blog going and why don't you tell people where, where to keep track of you? Yeah, um, you can get it also too. Uh, Dark Eon is available uh, as if you're just a listener. A E O N. Uh, people get confused. Dark Eon. A E O N. But it's also available at Skyhorse Publishing. If you want to go direct to the publisher and go okay. around uh, any of the other, uh, you know, the Amazonian beast. Yeah. But um, and then uh, you can find my writings are going to. I'll start slowly but surely putting stuff up again. Maybe by the time you actually see this, JoeBot.xyz. Find links to the book there. And uh, Mark, I, I really, really appreciate it, man. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's been too long. We bumped this a couple of times, so it's great to finally do this. And uh, you know, I'm I'm about a halfway through, and I'm st- I'm just enjoying reading this so much. So um, great. Great work, and uh, we'll do this again sometime. I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. Maybe next time we'll talk about the axial age. That's chap- chapter thirteen, the the, the the transhuman axial age. But um, okay, I, I, yeah, there's I, a lot of things the- I wanted to get to, like the artelect wars and all of that stuff. Uh, like, yeah. You know, uh, there there is time on down on down the road. If we're not fighting side by side in the trenches against uh, robot warriors, then uh, maybe we'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Take care, Joe. Thanks a lot, brother, man. Okay, bye.